0: Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and this is another episode of Motivational Mondays. And I am really excited because I've been trying to get this guy to join me for a while. (laughs) And our schedule's couldn't work out because he's so busy Mr. Hollywood. Yuval David is an out-American actor, filmmaker, and activist. His impressive resume includes notable roles as Matt V. Sokolov in the television series Madam Secretary, The Michael J. Fox Show, Disney's Beauty and the Beast. And he was a regular on What Would You Do on ABC, which was that amazing observational show with John Quinones. And Yuval is also the mastermind behind the critically acclaimed socially conscious media project One Actor Short, which is a great For which I won an Emmy Award. It just- For- which, <laughs> for which he won an Emmy Award. Let's make sure we note that because that's a big deal. Uh, but it's a guerrilla filmmaking project that started in the streets of New York and uh, D.C., I believe. And it was aimed at uniting the world in a time of rising divisiveness. So Motivational Mondays welcomes you, Yuval David. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be welcomed to your show
1: and basically to anything and everything you do, Corey. You're amazing in your own right with all the work that you do with the, the voice that you have and the voice that you share. One of the reasons I adore you and have ever since the first time we met on a red carpet at the Glad Media Awards. Mm-hmm. Firstly, it was just your, your energy. I felt like I needed to. Uh, wear sunblock next to you because <laughs> you were radiating all of this fabulous energy. And it was just amazing. And the more I've learned about who you are and what you do, the more I truly identify with you because you have this power in you to empower others. And I think, and know that we
0: need more people to do that, especially these days. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you. I am um I'm flattered and honored by that and I really appreciate it. And I agree that um uh, when we first met, there was like we had a good energy and a good vibe. And I was nervous because it was my first red carpet. I often tell the story. It was my first red carpet, really big night. Everybody was there from like Rosie O'Donnell to Madonna and of course um everyone in between. And um you were the first person I interviewed and I was like, Okay, let me and we get it together and we just had a great time and that set the tone for me for that night to be able to then talk to all the other celebrities so thank you at the field i was of your featuring. i was your
1: starter i was like your your warm-up act before you <laughs> interviewed madonna <laughs> yes
0: well unfortunately madonna just whizzed right by us she wouldn't you know she was too um she, she there's a point where you're too famous to even stop on the red carpet and she's one of those <laughs> <laughs> she's one of those people <laughs> but but in any event we do appreciate you being here and i just want to give a little context of your personal story, of course, which we just tapped into a little bit in the intro. But you do speak often about how your Jewish identity and your identity as a gay man puts you sort of in the intersectionality of two marginalized groups. And in one, and in some ways, they fuel each other as far as your advocacy work and the work you do for civil liberties. So, talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, social justice and civil rights are something that all of us must pursue and support other people in having. It's a way I was raised as a Jewish person. I was raised with a very strong Jewish education and connecting to my Jewish identity. And within Judaism, within not just Jewish religion, but also Jewish thought, Jewish philosophy, there's this element of activism which is so important in Judaism, where we focus on the concepts of repairing, repairing the world, repairing the soul, and repairing the body. Those are those three big elements. But those three elements can be defined in so many different ways. What is the world? What is the soul? What is the body? Is it just of my soul, my body, my world? Or is it your body your soul your world or the body politic or the world or is that the universe or it keeps kind of uh we're able to expand it however we wish to but those are so important elements to what it means to be a jew and i've applied that throughout my life even my work as an actor director and filmmaker how can i entertain uplift and inspire how can i use my artistry and my creativity? To repair the world, the body, the soul. How can I feel better when I do this work? And how can I make other people feel better? And not just feel better, but actually be better. I, I had a quite a massive day today and somebody used the, um, the perfect word with me. And by the perfect word, I actually mean the word perfect. See, I don't believe in perfection. I do believe in striving for greatness. And I want to help other people do the same. That's the same thing when it comes to advocacy and activism. I want to do those elements of repairing. I want to make people reach their greatest selves, and I want to reach that at the same time. So I'm able to apply the inspiring Jewish principles to everything I do. We talk about identity, and Corey, you and I have had conversations both recorded and and, and filmed and conversations, but also just as friends. And we talk about the power that we have as storytellers within entertainment and media to make this world a better place. And of course, when we focus on activism and advocacy, well, we're diving even deeper into those topics.
0: Mm -hmm. And they're not always pleasant, obviously. I mean, here lately, right? Uh, Here lately, of course, just... In general, there are a lot of hate attacks, a lot of bias attacks against certain ethnic groups, marginalized groups. There was, of course, in the recent couple of years, I guess, as I've seen it and media has shown us that there's a rise in attacks against Asians and, and people who are Jewish at rising numbers. And I know you were recently on Fox uh, Fox News DC and you were discussing a recently published report from the ADL. So first, if you would, wouldn't mind explaining what is the ADL and what are some of the findings that alarmed you enough that you wanted to go on the show and talk about them?
1: Well, the Anti-Defamation League is this organization that focuses on anti-Semitism and, and Jewish representation, but they also look to other groups as well. They have this report that they come out with, that they compile reports from the FBI, from police departments, from news media, all kinds of different places where incidents are reported. But it's also important to address that the Simon Wiesenthal Center also has their reports. So does the End Jew Hatred Movement and many other organizations that are sharing reported incidents. What all of these reports have proven is that in 2022, we saw the highest rates of anti-Jewish incidents, whether it's bullying, harassment, threats, graffiti, And actual physical violent assaults. We're seeing it in public spaces and we're seeing it on social media. We're seeing it in politics and in media and we're seeing it on the streets. This is a very, very dangerous situation. So the importance of sharing these reports is really to raise awareness because people aren't talking about this enough. That's what makes minority groups marginalized when they are pushed to the margins. These reports and People like you and people like me are so important because we can raise awareness. We can educate and inform people about what's happening. And hopefully that can lead to
0: action. Mm. I think sometimes it's difficult for certain groups to have the bandwidth, I think, for other groups that are being marginalized when they themselves are still in the struggle. So I think that's why sometimes we find that there are certain groups that don't get along very well in certain situations. You and I have spoken about the issue with African-Americans and, and and Jewish communities in New York City, where I always thought, well, it's so strange that if any groups should come together and be synonymous and uh, understand each other's plight, it would be Jewish Americans and African-Americans. I do wonder why do you think it is that there is a disconnect between people trying to empathize with what others are going through? And is that driving why we just are not humanizing each other? Like, what is the reason? Right. Two, two things. There are
1: issues between, we can say the, the Jewish American and the African American communities, but we're also united. So we're focusing on the peripheries. Let's call them agitators within the communities who might not have that bond. But the fact is That the African American and the Jewish American communities are united and have historically been united, and we continue to be united. So when there are those amongst us who are trying to create a division, the rest of us must speak out. It's why... I've been part of the Black Jewish Entertainment Alliance. Why support Ibsi, the Institute of Black Solidarity with Israel, uh, the National Black Empowerment Council? I mean, I can give you list uh, a huge list of organizations that focus on African Americans. And organizations that focus on African Americans and Jewish Americans united. And this is, there's, there's so many organizations and individuals who are doing absolutely amazing work. That's who we need to amplify. But we're in an era where we're amplifying the haters. Hatred is emboldened. Sometimes people talk about the Trump era, but it, it didn't start with Trump when the woke movement started when I think it was actually in its purest form, right? Started primarily by black women in America. Those were the people who started wokeism. And then it became an ism that was adopted by other people and has now become something different, totally hijacked. It it was about saying a response to the, the make America great again movement. When, when, when was it great? What is, again, what are the narratives we're talking about? So we have people who've had struggles in this country, but we also have people who have been resilient and have focused on forward moving and building and strengthening communities and strengthening each other. We need to amplify those, but right now we're amplifying the haters and we're also Having this era of like a victimhood competition. Who's mm. the biggest victim? And I don't think that that's right. Yes, victims can resonate with each other. Victimhood can resonate within other peoplehoods, within other narratives, and we can connect and identify with each other. But we need to focus on what makes us stronger what makes us move forward, what makes us continue and not only focus on what has historically put us down. It's, for example, why I don't like using the term anti-Semitism, why I'd rather use the vernacular Jew hatred or Mm. anti-Jewish, because anti-Semitism is a term that was created by a German agitator in the late 1800s to just have a term to define his hatred of Jewish people. And he said, Jews need to leave these Germanic and European lands and go back to where they came from, go back to the Semitic countries, go back to Judea and Samaria. And that's how he would talk about it. And all of a sudden, this term became a vernacular for other people. Why are we using the words of our aggressors and of our oppressors? It's the same reason we have allowed our oppressors and our aggressors and our victimizers to define our narrative. That's why, going back to wokeism, wokeism started saying, hey, wake up this is our narrative. This is who we are. Listen to who I am and then respond to me that way. It's the same thing that the LGBTQIA plus movement has done. These are my pronouns. This is who I am. See me the way I see myself. And then let's continue the conversation.
0: Mm. I love that you brought up the victimhood situation because, and this is really, I'm going to address this to both groups, the African-Americans and the Jewish community. I will give a bit of advice to avoid a pitfall in conversation that I've that I've been encounter that I've encountered, uh, especially in social media conversations between blacks and Jewish people together. And I will hear almost like a competition over which one which one had the worst ancestral History, you know, it's almost like I'll I'll hear from, um, for example, the Jewish community, people in that group will be arguing on Facebook and somebody will say, oh, yeah, what you guys went through. uh, Yeah, slavery was really terrible, but the Holocaust and then and reciprocal out here, African-Americans, you know, they be like, oh, my gosh, the Holocaust was really, really terrible. But you guys didn't have it for like 400 years. And I'm like, you know what? Here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to have a competition for ancestral trauma Right. It won't lead anywhere positive. No, no. We
1: need to recognize each other's trauma. And they're they're both horrible, period. Yeah. And the epigenetics, because that genetics, those genetics have been passed down to us, right? We have things in the way we respond and the way we react, because that's what human nature is. The people who survived actually pass on specific genetics to the next generation's biologists and geneticists specifically say that it takes 10 generations for that epigenetics to leave. So when people talk about the African American experience here in the United States, you are genetically programmed to respond a specific way. Most of my friends, their parents went to segregated schools. Yeah. Like my mom that wasn't did. a long time ago at They're, all. At all. Mm-hmm. I mean, how are we, how are we, or how are the people who are not Jewish or not black expecting us to just practice erasure and say, oh, well, we're now free. Everything is fun. Unicorns, rainbows, bubble gum, and ice cream. No, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. we still have those trained responses, whether we like it or not. And that's what psychologists are working with our communities to try to help us move beyond the trauma that we're We're born with what is the nature? What is the nurture? Nature versus nurture. We hear that all the time. And the same thing for the Jewish community.
0: Right. Yeah. Now
1: 67% of Jews internationally are considered people of color, but there are these narratives that have been passed on from the Nazi era and from European history of Jews being these, this vermin race that has been able to infiltrate and blend in. And that's when the narrative became that Jews are white presenting or can be white presenting, but are not actually white, right? The same, the same issues of racism that would come on when we talk about what are these different races and saying that people of color are different than white people instead of just recognizing what actually happens in the world. yeah, I mean, let me just, you know, give you the quick little story that we all should know, or at least those who are educated. Humanity is known to have descended from a specific continent, when with a continental divide, we know that we came from this cradle of civilization, which is primarily Africa. Now people in a certain part, right? Just saying. (laughs) And people... Uh, who are from a specific part of the world that has a higher rate of UV rays have a darker skin tone, right? The body is trying to balance out the amount of, uh, vitamin D that we either get from the sun or whatnot. And if you look at people from a specific part of the world, they have a darker skin tone. Now, as generations and thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of years have passed, people migrated to parts of the world that just don't get as much sun, that don't get as much UV rays. And in order to survive, in order for humanity to survive, the body said, we need vitamin D. So we don't need a darker skin tone because we need more of the UV rays. That's all it is. We are one race. Mm -hmm. We are one people. Who cares what the color of our skin is or how we look? And it's this issue that I have with racism so much because – Racism is a theory that was created by racists. Why are we defining so much about us from them? Mm -hmm. Now we cannot practice erasure. That's the problem with what I just said, because the fact is racism has existed for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So how do we combat it? We combat it by embracing who we are understanding our past but empowering
0: our future. Well, that taps right into when you just mentioned how recent certain history is because I was just talking to someone regarding the book banning of Ruby Bridge, the story of, you know, the first little child who was integrated in the school system in New Orleans. And she, um, there's a children's book, of course, you know, about her life. And it's a very popular children's book and a uh, town in Florida has banned the book because some of the parents were complaining. I'm not sure what they complained about. It's called history. Like, <laughs> I'm i am really, I wouldn't like try and find like, what was the complaint? Because it's literally a book about something that actually happened and quite grandly happened historically. But a woman on Facebook who I'm friends with, she said, it's funny. She said, you know, just a couple weeks ago. Ruby Bridge actually came to my town and spoke at an elementary school. And she said she was floored because she's a little younger than me, but she said she was floored when Ruby Bridge said that she was just 68 years old.
1: So right. she's like, we, we
0: think it's ancient history, right. but it's not. Like Ruby Bridge right now grew up when she had to be escorted into a school with, by the that's National wild. Guard. Wild. And that's one generation ago. My mother, you I love that you brought up the generational thing. My mother was born in 1949. And so my, my, that means my mother from like the age of like, babyhood to maybe 15 or 16, my mother grew up in a world that said no colors allowed, whites only. That is not ancient history. So when we talk about people trying to erase and not teach or limit the teaching or make it illegal to teach, it's not even like it's ancient history. We're, talk, we're talking stuff that happened about five years before I was born. So um it is really crazy. And just to drive home your point again, that is why The opposite should be happening. We should be teaching children this because that is how they learn from the eras of the past. So we don't repeat them. It's pretty simple. So I'm shocked that the attempt to erase things is is the method. The future is stable. What is changing is the past.
1: That's the, the scary thing. It's a good thing when researchers and scientists and archaeologists discover more about the past, but it's a very dangerous thing when people practice revisionist history in order to alter the facts of the past. That's why we need to share different narratives, different people, and maintain that facts are facts. But we're in this very frightening time where facts are being questioned. Whose facts are these? Oh, I don't trust the facts because it comes from that person, but I'll trust the facts because they come from this person. And all of a sudden, the concept of narrative overtakes what are just documented facts. So that we're in a very frightening place. It's the same reason how we talk about history. History books are written by the victors. History books are written by the people who won. Mm-hmm. So yeah, how do yeah. we... How do we make sure that
0: truth remains protected? You know, one of the funniest – well, it's not funny, but it was sort of, but um it got resolved finally. But years ago, maybe four years ago, maybe five years ago, a little boy in Texas, he was like 10, I think. He went home to his mom and he had a new history book that had printed. You may have heard this story where the new public school books listed Africans among the immigrants who came to America looking for a better life. <laughs> It was like, what? what? Yeah, like, like, no, they didn't come through Ellis Island. I can assure you that's not what happened. But the history books that Texas school board had authorized had this completely like absurd narrative of how African people got here. And it was like, it lifted them along with the Irish and the Italians and, you know, people who came here looking for a better life. It was pretty crazy. But he challenged the school board and they pushed back and said, well, we, you know, the books cost too much. We're not going to reprint them. It's wrong. R- wrong. <laughs> it's, so it's wrong it's so wrong It's wrong. and um yeah so it's crazy eventually they they did though they you know because the media caught on to the story and then it was just was like it just wasn't a good look for Texas so they did eventually but you're right history kept receipts so why mm-hmm. are you trying to change like you know these things are documented already so it's a bizarre position to try right. to rewrite them or whitewash them if they say
1: well when I was um uh, f- filming a project in South Carolina, I stayed longer because I like to travel around the country. And it made me realize that as a first generation American who's lived in Washington DC, Los Angeles and New York, my America is very different than a lot of other people's America. And I was doing these history trips around South Carolina uh, especially uh, 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 Charleston, as we know, is was one of the main ports through which slaves were brought into the country. And I did these tours. One of them was uh, probably the most impactful. It was the most impactful, and was called. It was titled "From Slavery to Freedom," mm. and it was this very extensive tour and during a lunch break i went up to the main tour guide and i pointed out to him that i took notice that the only people who were on this tour were people of color and jewish people and he started tearing up and we ended up sitting down and having this conversation and he said that that is the norm for this tour it's jewish people And people of color who are the vast majority of people who've been going on his tour and tours of other colleagues of his who do a similar thing. The majority of people go on tours of these different plantations and go and look at the gardens and look at the big house and just kind of forget about this part of history. And he said that he was inspired to do these tours when he was traveling around Europe and went to the Anne Frank House Mm -hmm. and went to these different places That were turned into monuments or monuments were created outside of them in honor and in memory of Jewish people. And he wanted to travel around the country around the United States and find the places where black people historically were, whether they were slaves or whether they were free people and turn them into monuments and just honor the spaces of the ancestors who allowed African-Americans to be who they are today or who survived to allow African-Americans to be today. Mm. And it was this really moving conversation. It was also empowering, but equally disappointing because people don't want to talk about what is hard. They want to move on to what is easy, We need more people who can lean into what is hard and talk about what is hard, because you know what? Most people will only want what's easy. They don't want to be leaders. They don't want to be the storytellers. They don't want to be front facing. They just want an easy life. Mm -hmm. And that's why what you are doing, Corey, and what people like us are doing is so important and so needed. Some people don't share their voice but we can share our voices and hopefully we can inspire and make it a safe space for other people to do the same.
0: Well, those are beautiful, optimistic words. And I believe also that it's going to take an allied nation, if you will, all of us together to to get through some of these very, very difficult, divisive days. And I definitely appreciate you giving such an honest commentary, personal commentary about your experience and the wonderful work you're doing. We appreciate you being here, American actor, filmmaker, and activist. all David, thanks for being a guest today here on Motivational Mondays. Thank you, Corey. Again, you are amazing. You are powerful
1: and empowering, and I adore you. I'm so proud of you.